We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, a special edition, episode number 124. Coming up on this episode, we talked to Ben Heller. Uh, it was after the game on Tuesday night versus the Red Sox. Scott, he gave us about a half hour, 40 minutes. It was a really good interview. Um, towards the end there, kind of got off the rails with some Pokemon talk. I know you got pissed at me, but uh, Ben being a kid of the 90s, me being a kid of the 90s, I had to bring it up. You, you keep saying a kid of the 90s, which, which I mean, I actually was a kid of the 90s because I was born in 1980, so I was 10 years old. I was actually a kid of the 90s. So I don't know if you're using that term correctly because youth, I feel like my, you were too young. My you elementary young school the youth, which is when Pokemon was at its height, you know, 1997, 1998, when the Yankees okay, were the, the greatest 90s. team in baseball. Yeah, that's the, the late, late 90s. 90s. Okay, it's still the 90s. A little 90s. different. A little different. But, uh, I, I, yeah, 
it's uh you guys started talking Pokemon. I had no idea what you were saying, and that's fine. You know, I'm I'm glad you guys could connect over Pokemon. That's cool. Yeah. I'm 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 good with that. The uh the I think the overwhelming uh thing talking to Ben is like first of all, he's the nicest guy in the world, right? I mean this he's a he's just a nice dude, and you can tell that he truly appreciates being in the big leagues. And that was something that was refreshing for me. I could I could tell that he actually you know, really appreciated being there, being in the clubhouse, like the whole experience. You could tell he was taking it in. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, Ben was extremely nice. I feel like all the players we've talked to have been extremely nice. And oh, yeah, earth. for sure. Um, it's it's a fun experience being able to talk to some of these guys because for so long they felt off limits and out of reach. But now social media and all this kind of stuff make it possible to, possible to talk to them and like he's just like a normal dude and it's funny like the conversation not to ruin anything that we talk about in the interview but he's having the same conversations with guys in the bullpen that you and i would have right so yeah very because fun. at the end of the day they are just dudes like we are <laughs> very and we got some insider information on bwip Yes, we did. I was so happy when that conversation started going. I had to ask the question. That was good. I had to absolutely if you ask the question. Ask it, I was going to ask it. Yeah, and uh, and it's confirmed. We need to lobby harder and petition the powers that be, whoever the hell these people are that that create these advanced metrics. That BWIP needs to be a part of the metrics. So before we get into the interview with Ben, quickly, uh, Scott, let's discuss the updated news on Didi. We recorded on Monday night, and the MRI was still unclear, and we didn't know the timetable on Didi, but we got an update on Tuesday. He's likely out for the entire month of April. Now they're saying like mid-May is a is a realistic timetable for Didi. That's, I think, a little bit longer than you and I thought originally. I was thinking more along the lines of he'll be back, ready to go, full fully by May 1st. Yeah, uh, they said the the original report was that he was going to be, you know, no baseball activity for two weeks. And usually when you hear that, there's obviously then a revamp period for them to get ready to start playing baseball again and go through all those activities and and uh, get, you know, the, the get in condition for baseball. So I, I, I agree. I thought it was going to be around May, uh, May 1st uh, at, at the end of April, possibly. But now it seems like it's a little bit more extended. And maybe they're just saying that to, uh, you know, to, to make sure our expectations are a little bit longer in the in the time frame and then he can come back so i don't know it still doesn't seem like it was a major injury it seems like it was actually some kind of a strain yeah and well we got also information on how it happened and it was uh turning he was playing second base throwing to turn a double play yeah and And i I believe it was in like warm-ups because he's been dhing every game so everybody maybe that's part of it because he's been dhing and hasn't been getting as many i mean i'm sure he's i mean well, then, I know, then we I'm kind really of have a problem. <laughs> no, I, I'm completely joking. But I know everybody's up in arms because it happened at the World Baseball Classic, and and that's one thing. But you know what? What happened was on the baseball diamond, and it easily could have happened and very well might have happened at spring training at the same time. He was doing the yeah. same type of activity. A lot of this stuff could have happened in Tampa. Yeah, it just sucks. It just looks bad, right? It, it does, and it feels different. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like because a different he wasn't, type of thing. he wasn't contributing to the Yankees. Right. So, yeah, uh, as far as what it means for who the Yankees are going to play at shortstop, it sounds like Torres, uh, Tyler Wade, potentially uh, maybe Castro shifting over. Uh, but one thing's for certain Glyber Torres is not going to be the guy he was actually I just got an update on my phone assigned to double A already. Yeah. So that was something we knew. We kind of figured that was going to be the case. And 
I think Tyler Wade's got the you know the biggest week ahead of him if he can yeah if he can show really well in this last in this last stretch of spring training he's and he's got a real up, yeah he's got a really good opportunity if he finishes strong he's got a really good opportunity to start in the Bronx start the season in the Bronx and uh, and and make an impact for a month I mean he's got a he's got a, a giant opportunity in front of him so yeah. good for Tyler good for Tyler Wade and uh, you know his hard work has paid off and he's been the guy it's so funny because we talk about all these shortstop prospects that the Yankees have. And he is by far the least talked about up until, you know, this year. And he had kind of a breakout spring. So good for him. Yeah, I'm really excited. I hope they give it to Tyler Wade, not only because it's fun to see a young player on the rise, but also I feel like I know him a little bit because we were able to talk to him for an hour and very, very nice and down to earth guy, just like Ben Heller, who uh, we'll get into that interview now. Uh, Just a quick reminder, one final reminder, Scott and I will be in Tampa This weekend, Friday and Saturday at those games, the spring training meetup at 6 p.m. at Southern Brewing and winemaking on that Friday. Scott, I'm pretty excited about it. It's right around the corner. But before then, enjoy this Ben Heller interview. We now welcome onto the show Ben Heller, pitcher for the New York Yankees. Ben, you're, you guys are winding down spring training. At what point are you just sick and tired of spring training? It's been going on for like a month, month and a half at this point, and you just want the season to get going. Hey, guys. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And, you know, this is my first major league spring training, and it's my first uh, Yankees spring training. So I know it's kind of the cliche answer, but I, I really am not – you know, getting sick of uh, spring training at all yet. It's still, you know, kind of new to me um, being in the big leagues and being around all these guys is new to me. So it's been a lot of fun and it's a good energy, especially since we've been playing so well. You know, it's a lot of fun um, just going to the field every day and a lot of optimism right now. So it's been good. You know, we were we were making comments in our, on our show yesterday about that. This is one of the first times in spring training where, Yankees fans are watching the games, and there's really no at no point are we becoming disinterested, at, you know, in the at the end of the games in spring training. And usually that happens, but because there's so such a large crop of talent, um, you guys just have so much talent on the team right now. It seems like every inning there's a guy that everybody wants to watch, um, but there's a lot of talent and a lot of good baseball players throughout the game. So I can imagine that it's a, a good energy throughout. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you have the stud players and, you know, the guys who are going to be the the main contributors at the big league level. But then, like you said, you know, even the minor league guys and guys all the way down to single A who are in big league camp, um, it's a lot of exciting players and young guys. And I think fans are kind of bought into the whole youth movement thing. And, um, you know, so it just makes, makes things more interesting, especially this time of year when, fans probably get a more in-depth look at a lot of the younger guys than they usually do. Um, So, you know, I'm sure from a fan perspective, it's awesome. And then just, you know, as a player, um, it's fun to be around and keeps the games energetic and, um, you know, always something to uh, stay tuned into for sure. You mentioned this was your first major league spring training. Other than the obvious that you're playing with, uh, you know, other big league players in spring training, what's the biggest difference this year than previous years in spring training? Um, you know, I'd say minor league spring training to me is very, uh, I guess you could say militaristic. Like it's, you know, it almost feels like you're at boot camp sometimes. You know, you show up in the morning and a couple hundred guys go to 
go to the breakfast room and then you all do your stretch together. Everything's very regimented. And, you know, they, with the Indians, they would blow uh, a blow horn to signal for uh, groups of pitchers to change stations to a different uh, PFP station. And, you know, to me, that just got very monotonous <laughs> and, um, you know, just really made me feel like I was, you know, like a soldier at boot camp for the first time, and they were molding me into the person they wanted me to be. Whereas big league camp right now, and, you know, with the Yankees, every day is a little bit different, and, you know, players are on different schedules, and, you know, we have different meetings. Every day, obviously, there's a game, so on the days that you pitch and you play, it's going to be a little different. So overall, I'd say things are just a lot more, uh, you get to do different things over in big league camp, and, uh, it's it just a little bit more um, lively, I guess. Is that food better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, definitely one of the biggest perks of being up on the big league side. And the Yankees spare no expense with their food either. So it's definitely they take care of us for sure. I would hope not. And, and it's funny. It's funny hearing that because you don't think about. I don't think I've ever actually thought about what minor league spring training was. And you know, talking about it like that, it almost sounds like when you got to the Yankees, it became less structured, which is completely opposite of the the, the normal thinking of what you know what people imagine. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say necessarily less structured. Like it, every day, you you'll go in and there's a very detailed practice plan, um, but. You know, starting pitchers are on different schedules than relievers, and, um, you know, it changes based on whether you're pitching, whether you pitch the day before, pitching tomorrow, and, um, you know, they also don't want to burn guys out because Major League Spring Training is almost a month longer than minor league camp, so, you know, we've been here since most of the guys get here early, so I've been in Tampa since January 25th taking ground balls and working on PFPs, so they don't really hammer you quite as hard uh with the pfps and you know with the same old boring drills um you know they're definitely important and you make sure that you can do things the right way and you know once you show that you can that you have all the fundamentals down and you know you work on them a little bit each day still but it's not quite um as extensive as the minor league side i went to summer sleepaway camp when i was like eight years old to probably 13 or 14 years old and minor league spring training sounds like when i was like eight or nine in summer camp and then major league spring <laughs> training sounds like when they let you have a little bit more freedom maybe you were in middle yeah. school and you didn't have to like you said have blow horns indicate that it was time to wake up and go to breakfast yep exactly i mean you're spot on with that it's and it's just more exciting pitching in you know big league games the games are on tv and you're facing major league hitters and the games matter there's real things at stake you know it's like it really just everything is so much more meaningful yeah i mean you you're you're pitching for a spot on the major league roster and you've had a really good spring so far the stats show that so you know how have you felt this spring I, you know, I'm not going to ask you if you've heard if you're making the team yet or not, but I'm, I know you want to make the team. So um, maybe that's why you said you're not, you're not uh, anxious for spring to get over because you still, you still have a lot to prove. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a definitely a unique position to be in, um, you know, myself as well as all the really other young guys kind of competing for spots on the team. And um, Absolutely. You know, we all want to be on the, on the major league team and contribute to helping the team win. But at the same time, it's still spring training for us, you know, which can be the tough part because 
you look at guys like CC and Tanaka, you know, they, they have guaranteed spots. So they're kind of here just making sure they get their arms in shape and make sure all their pitches are working or, you know, make any little changes. And the, the younger guys are still, you still need to do that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you want to go out there and you want to pitch well and, you know, put up good numbers and all that. So um, it's kind of, you got to find the balance. And I feel like I've been able to do that this spring. Um, I, you know, I've been working on some uh, changes with my delivery and my mechanics. So I feel like I've been able to do that while, uh, you know, having success in my outings and competing and just trying to do the best I can each time I go out. That brings up a really, uh, I think one of the one of the things that people don't have a full grasp on how spring training works, especially with pitchers. When when you're out there, I, I would love to to get some insight on you know what your what your goals are, or what you guys are trying to do, what the coaching staff wants you to do. I mean, are you more focused on the results or the execution of uh, a said pitch, or you know what's the, I mean, does it change every single time you go out there? Yeah, I think it changes from outing to outing and from pitcher to pitcher, especially. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of where you're at in your progression through spring training, you know, early in spring training. For me, I just wanted to make sure my delivery was where I wanted it to be. I had kind of worked on some mechanical changes over the winter. So um, the my first few outings, I was really just trying to work on that and execute pitches um, and, you know, maybe not so much worried about the results and what the batters did. But as you move closer to the regular season, I think you kind of have to start uh, worrying, not not necessarily worrying, but, you know, you have to care about the results and you want to go out there and compete and get, get batters out while still, you know, working on stuff. Um, and then you got, you know, some guys working on new pitches or different pitches. Um, I've been trying to incorporate a change up a lot more into my pitch mix. So that's been something that Larry – Rothschild has been wanting to uh, see me throw a little more. So, you know, some of my outings, I'll go out there and I'll throw way more change-ups than I usually would during the regular season. Maybe throw them in counts that don't necessarily make sense for a change-up, but it's, you know, that's what spring training is for, so to speak, is to work on those things that you, you don't really get the chance to work on during the season. Very so how, interesting. What's the process for coming up with or, th- or deciding to throw a new pitch? Is it something that in the winter maybe you're just messing around with in the offseason, a new grip or something like that? Or are most times when a pitcher adds a new pitch to his arsenal, it's like the pitching coach sits down with him and says, okay, here's what we're going to work on ABC in spring training? I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some cases where – a pitcher is just messing around and he finds that he has this nasty pitch that he just learned. Um, yeah. That's the story of more, Mariano Rivera's cutter. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, exactly always, I'm always like, did he really just stumble upon that by accident? Yeah. Because that might be Seriously. the best accident in baseball history. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for, uh, for myself to accidentally stumble upon one of the greatest pitches ever. It must be nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think more often than not, it's probably the pitching coach suggesting that, you know, a certain pitch might help help a pitcher, you know, just pitch a little bit better. And for me, that's kind of what it was, you know, just looking at adding something that would get hitters off my fastball and my slider. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been working on a changeup the last two or three years and just never really threw it a whole lot in the minor leagues. Um, I guess I didn't really need to. So, uh, you know, sitting down at the end of the season with the pitching coach and kind of, kind of, you know, analyzing what I can do to uh, pitch better this year and get more guys out um, 
one of the thoughts was add a change up so or start throwing the change up more so that's kind of how that came about for me it makes sense i mean when you have when you get when you're throwing high 90s you know lighting up that change up in there from the from the same arm slot makes a lot of sense to get guys out how's it how's it yep. feeling so far it's been good really good honestly um i feel really comfortable throwing it for strikes um I think the biggest thing for me is just being consistent with it, you know, because I'll have some games where, where I can, you know, really throw where I want to and um, has the action that I want to. And then some games, if I'm even just a little thing is off with my delivery, uh, my changeup kind of flattens out and I'll leave it up in the zone. So um, just something that I need to become more consistent with, you know, just with any pitch, every, every pitcher is aiming to be at their best every single time. So it's no different with, uh, a single pitch is a changeup like more of a feel thing than than anything because I know Severino's been struggling with a changeup as well this spring. Yeah, I think a changeup. You know, they a lot of pitching coaches will say it's the ultimate feel pitch. You you know you can tell a, a pitcher how to grip it, how to throw it. You can say throw it just like your fastball, but with this grip. But there's really the really the only way to uh, you know get a get a good grasp on throwing it and becoming consistent is by throwing it a lot yeah. and every pitcher is different you know it's I guess it's kind of hard to explain but it's just one of those things that comes through repetition and uh, lots of practice and if it's not something you learn as an early age it's it's a little it's awkward because there's a lot more of your hand on the ball right yeah. so it's oh, it's yeah. uh, you're not getting that same that that same like you know whip off yeah. of the off the fingers yeah, exactly. I mean, you if you think about like how many how many times I've thrown a fastball in my life through from my entire baseball career from when I started throwing baseball, I've you know probably thrown tens of thousands of fastballs, but maybe only a couple hundred changeups. So, obviously that's going to be the development is going to be a little bit behind and you're just not going to have as good of a feel for it. So you were you were mentioning that you you were mainly fastball slider. Was that ever since high school um actually in high school and most of college i really only threw a fastball um kind of funny story in high school and i went to uh, i grew up in small town wisconsin whitewater wisconsin um town of ten thousand people so baseball around me so like wasn't one really section big. at yankee stadium okay <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so you know baseball baseball wasn't really the greatest sport and didn't really face the greatest competition by any means, but I actually threw a no hitter in high school without throwing any off speed pitches the entire game. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of kind of the see that would just, I would lead with that in any story. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes me look like a ridiculous dominant pitcher, I guess. <laughs> were you throwing? I mean, were you in the nineties mid when you were in high school? Um, no, I was I was mid to upper eighties back then, which is okay. kind of kind of what led me down the uh, college path that I went on. Um, I ended up going to Olivet Nazarene University, which probably nobody, none of your listeners have probably ever heard of. Um, <laughs> but it's a small NAIA school about an hour south of Chicago. Um, and I committed there early in my senior year, in the fall of my senior year. And at the time, I just kind of wanted to go somewhere that I knew I could continue my baseball career and you know basically just have four more years of playing baseball um not really ever thinking that it was a realistic possibility for me to get drafted let alone playing the big leagues um 
So, you know, I ended up having a, an awesome college experience there and met my wife, made a ton of good friends and basically just worked extremely hard every single day and got a lot better. So you, um, men- you mentioned you were from a, f- a small town, Wisconsin, uh, in Wisconsin. So is, does that make you a Brewers fan growing up? I was a huge Brewers fan. That was, uh, that was my main team. Um, actually one of my best memories of base baseball at all was when CC pitched for the Brewers and oh, I think yeah. it was 2008, 2008. You're talking about like, that was when yeah. you were a kid. Like I remember that, like it was oh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was, that was he, such a treat. He threw uh, 200 innings in September, I think. Yeah, seriously. He, he threw <laughs> like, I don't know, probably like 10 complete games or something on three days rest every, every single time. Out. It was amazing. And he single-handedly carried the Brewers to the playoffs that year. So that was, that was one of those things. I, I grew up about 45 minutes outside of Milwaukee. So I'd go to the games whenever I had a chance. Um, yeah, it so I CC, saw him pitch a bunch. It was CC and Ben Sheets, right? In that rotation. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They, I went to, uh, games on back to back days, uh, probably in August, maybe September that year. And they both threw a complete game shutout uh, on back-to-back days. So You ever bring that up cool. to him? Like, hey, big fella, I, I, was watch, <laughs> I was watching you when you were with the Brewers. Yeah, I mentioned it to him. Actually, just uh, yesterday I said something to him about it. And, you know, he, I'm sure for him that feels like it was just yesterday too. But um, that was, he, he was saying, you know, obviously that was a fun part of his career and, cool memories uh being a part of that so how badly do you want to go up to him and get an autograph something you know i mean is that is that is that done in the clubhouse or are you still hesitant because you're still trying to make your you're trying to make your name it's cc sabathia it's a guy that you've looked up to he's a veteran obviously what's the uh what's the you know what's the deal there well let me tell you kind of a crazy story so as soon as i when i first got called up uh last last year with the yankees august 11th um, you know, I'm still, I was completely shell shocked even about the trade happening, coming over from the Indians. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm part of the Yankees. And then a week later, after I get traded, I'm getting called up and it's Alex Rodriguez's last game that I'm getting called up for. <laughs> like, can you imagine, you know, like my mind was just in a whirlwind. So I, I show up to uh, Fenway park and the first person I see in the clubhouse is CeCe Sabathia. <laughs> and he just walks up to me, you know, big smile on his face, shakes my hand. Hey, hey, I'm CeCe. Nice to meet you. And my jaw about hit the floor, um, you know, just being in awe of the fact that I was meeting one of my favorite players growing up and, you know, kind of one of the best pitchers of our generation. Um, but I, I haven't managed to uh, go ask him for his autograph yet i'm sure i'll probably try to get that at some point before the year's up but i should probably wait a little bit till uh till i'm a little more comfortable in the clubhouse i guess yeah is just don't, don't miss the opportunity you gotta do it this year true yeah absolutely <laughs> is he kind of like the uh the dad in the clubhouse at this point yeah that's kind of what it seems like to me um Last year, it was it was kind of a combination of him and Teixeira and a little bit of McCann. Um, and I know McCann isn't – he's maybe not near the end of his career, but he was just a great clubhouse guy, you know, every day joking around and stuff. But now CeCe, I think, has kind of taken on that role with those couple guys leaving. And, you know, so he's he's a great 
uh, presence to the younger guys. And obviously he has a ton of baseball knowledge, but he's, you know, he plays music in the clubhouse every day. And um, I've heard he kind of sets up trips and activities for guys on the team throughout the year. So he's definitely an awesome guy and which is cool, you know, cause I'm sure there's some, some players out there, you know, on different teams who maybe have the type of numbers he does or the status or money or whatever. And maybe they feel like, they're too good to talk to the younger players. So it's pretty awesome having him, um, you know, treat, treat us the way he does. I want to ask you about being called up. You said you were called up. It was like Alex Rodriguez's last, last game. So that's already a circus, but you don't even yeah. get to, you don't even get to pitch, but, and then you get sent yeah. down again. So it's like you were, you were cramming for this giant exam that never happened. <laughs> and then oh, you get yeah. called up later in the month and you finally get to debut. So like, I can just imagine the emotions you were going through. Like you were right there and then it was just yeah. yanked away. Oh, it was crazy. Um, absolutely nuts. You know, I, I looking back at it now, I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't pitch my very first day because um, the way it happened was I got called at about 1230 at night, um, the night before I went up. And, you know, obviously after getting news like that, that I'm going up for the first time, I didn't sleep a single bit that night. So, huh. um, I, you know, I ended up going to Fenway on zero hours of sleep and it was like 110 degrees that day. So I don't, I don't know if it would have gone ideally. I'm sure, you know, I still would have competed, but, um, then I, then we had the home game that was A-Rod's last game. Um, then I got sent back down 10 days later, I went to Seattle for two games, didn't pitch there. And then finally we went back to uh, New York and I was able to get in finally. So my third stop, my third city, I guess, out of uh, the, the big league cities. And I finally got to pitch. So it was crazy, but well worth it. Well worth the wait. I mean, that waiting game that you're going through, and I understand Girardi or whoever the manager is can't, come out and just say i'm going to use you because they don't know what the game situation is but he didn't give you like any sense of i'm going to try and get you in this game today i know it's going to be your major league debut i know that's kind of a big deal so i don't want you just sitting there on pins and needles well games that were my debut were were well yeah of course that but uh every game was a close game you know so they I don't think they wanted to throw me in there for, you know, a save situation or even like a seventh inning situation when we were up by one or whatever. So um, I did get hot a couple times. My I got hot the very first game in Boston. Um, I think if we would have scored a couple more runs, I would have gone in. And then one of the games in Seattle, I I got up if we were, if we would have scored another run I think we had bases loaded with no outs and we needed to score two runs for me to get in and we didn't end up scoring two runs so that was a little bit of a bummer but um I got to see Batances pitch in like all of those games so that was kind of cool that doesn't surprise <laughs> me <laughs> yeah so that was that was always fun <laughs> watching him go in there and strike out everybody Ben, when you're when you guys are warming up in the in the uh, in the bullpen, is someone counting the number of pitches that you're throwing and then relaying that to another person? Like, to, are they keeping that stat of how many warm up pitches you're throwing? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I know they keep track of the amount, the number of warm up pitches we throw. You know, the bullpen coach Mike Harkey, um, he he keeps track of our our warm up pitches. So I'm sure he uses that information. You know, brings it. Um, to Larry and you know they kind of 
use that, I guess, going forward. Um, I'm, I'm sure if there's, you know, ever a game where a guy gets up and down two or three times and throws a bunch of pitches, that's got to factor into uh, how right. they use it the next day, I would imagine. Um, I would imagine, too. That's, that's, yeah. that's one of those interesting things that, that you don't see on the, on the box score very often. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if a guy pitches two, three days in a row in the game, you know, you kind of – your expectations on the third day might be a little less. You know, he kind of cut him some slack, like, okay, this guy's been getting used pretty hard. But the same can kind of be said if he's warmed up for three or four days in a row, but nobody realizes that he's done that. So your arm could be hanging because you've been getting up and down for, you know, three or four days in a row, and then you finally get in the game and you don't have your best stuff, but people don't realize that's why. Uh, so – there's a lot more that goes into it than maybe the average fan thinks about. Yeah, Scott and I have talked at length on this podcast about <laughs> bullpen warm-up pitches, and we're trying to get this this movement going because we think Dylan Batances has not only thrown the most pitches in Major League Baseball in a game, but also thrown the most pitches in a bullpen warm-up situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. One thing I did notice about his warm-ups in the bullpen are they're very low intensity. So maybe he's so maybe it's kind like of half, half each time it counts for yeah, a half, half or, or maybe early in his career, you know, he was getting used a ton, like you guys are saying and up and down, up and down. And so he kind of just eventually realized that he didn't need to waste his bullets in the bullpen. So once he gets loose, he kind of just, you know, chucks it in there, maybe 75% effort. And then once he gets in the game is when he really lets it go. So I'm curious about – so you've been a bullpen guy your whole pro career, right? Yeah. What do you do to kill time in the bullpen? Because it just seems like there's so much downtime. I read – I don't know if you ever read the book The Bullpen Gospels by uh, Dirk Hayhurst. Uh, I have read it. A really good to. book, and like I recommend it as a baseball book for anybody. But he just talks yeah. about some stories about killing endless hours and endless innings <laughs> in, in, yeah. in the bullpen. It's it's like he's just any sort of game they could come up with, whether it's picking out fans or throwing seeds into a cup. And sometimes they would like sneak into the clubhouse and play Xbox. Like, what are you <laughs> doing to kill time? Yeah, well, thankfully, uh, the, the bullpen atmosphere – with the Yankees and the big leagues has been really good. And, you know, I'm pretty locked into the game. It's still very exciting and new to me every game. So just getting to watch a big league game is pretty awesome, but uh, plenty of experiences of killing time in the minor leagues in the bullpen. A few things that come to mind uh, in high a uh, in the Carolina league, they, there were a bunch of bullpens that were, uh, like off to the side of the field kind of. So they were out of view of the dugout. So um, we'd play bocce ball a lot. We, we had this big weighted ball. Um, so we, someone would toss that and then all the pitchers would toss their baseball at that, <laughs> at that ball, you know, just bocce ball. And whoever ended up being the furthest away from the ball had to go pick up all the baseballs and bring them back for the next round. So you had to get up off your seat. Um, Another, well, there's obviously lots of conversations. One team that I was on, we just loved to, uh, to argue about random scenarios. So one of our ongoing arguments, which still has not been settled to this day, um, basically is could the five best basketball players from this baseball team, so let's say it was my double-A team, could the five best basketball players from this double-A team 
beat a team of WNBA all-stars. Oh, I love this. I love this argument. Yeah, this is, perf- this is perfect. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure you know there's a lot of uh, testosterone in the bullpen and a lot of uh, guys who believe they're all strong and, you know, crazy good basketball players. So I'd say the overwhelming answer to that question was the, was the uh, team of baseball players, but myself and a few of the other more logical players went with the uh, WNBA All-Stars. Well, is Aaron Judge on this double-A team? <laughs> okay, he, he was not at the time, but he'll probably <laughs> change my answer. Yeah, because yeah, he's just he posting anybody answers. up in the paint. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's a complete game-changer, but, <laughs> you know, if you got a, a team of just a bunch of average – six foot to six two guys i think the wmba would take them down for sure so your conversations in the bullpen sound a lot like my drunk conversations i had in college with my buddies <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean for the most part right it's just just guys being dudes yeah. just talking about whatever comes to mind and um you know i'm sure you can use your imagination for where some of the conversations go but really anything to just keep us entertained and occupied for two to three hours a night for 140 nights out of the year <laughs> yeah and then i'm sure as the game if it gets down to the seventh eighth ninth and oh, it's yeah. pressure situation that all changes yeah usually by like the fifth or sixth inning guys start to get locked in start moving around a little bit but those first few innings when you really you kind of you know it's the just the typical bullpen life you know it's a special place down in the bullpen and you got to embrace it and enjoy it for all that it's worth so um, that's kind of your time to do it is early in the game. I feel like that's it's, a recipe to have some people become a little odd. If you're just a, a life, <laughs> a lifetime bullpen guy, not saying you're going to go down yeah. that road, but <laughs> I just feel like all that time spent might make you a little wacky. Yeah. Wacky or just, uh, a very wise person. You know, you have that all too. these stories and life experiences that you're talking about and, you know, the people in the dugout, they're just locked into the game. So they're just they're missing out on talking about these real life things. But <laughs> I'd say more often than not, it is kind of some weird stuff. And there's definitely weird dudes in the bullpen. Usually they're lefties. Um, but yeah, you can't trust a lefty. I mean, those they don't even make binders for lefties. It's weird. <laughs> that is weird. Never thought yeah. about that. The uh, you talk about the the uh just like the mentality of, of being in the bullpen and you actually just retweeted something uh yesterday or recently uh that it was a max scherzer uh picture with a quote on it talking about the intensity and and kind of finding that that fine line can you talk to us just about that like you know about your mentality yeah. the right the right bit of intensity it seems like that that kind of resonated with you yeah yeah i love that quote um and you know just kind of hit home for me because I, I've always been the type of pitcher who loves to go out there, just adrenaline through the roof, you know, get after it on the mound, fearless, um, super aggressive uh, with every pitch that I throw. But I've kind of realized throughout my career, you know, there, there's a point where it can be too much, too much aggressiveness and energy and adrenaline. So, um, you know, you, you kind of have to uh, find that balance between, between relaxing and, you know, staying within yourself, you know, keeping your mechanics fluid and easy, but also having a good intensity out there and, um, you know, throwing pretty much as hard as you can every pitch. Uh, I, I guess I've never been the type of 
type of guy who likes to go out there and, you know, feel like I'm throwing at 90% effort and try to spot up. I, I tried to do that early in my career and especially in college and it just didn't work for me. You know, I more often than not, I would miss down the middle or end up walking guys. I'm, I'm just not the type of pitcher who likes to nip the corners and tries to be a precision type guy. You know, I like to go out there and blow the doors off people. So, um, that's I'm kind of. I'm starting yeah. to see why the changeup was recommended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> anything to tone me down a little bit. That's cool. Is there something that that you do to to kind of get your mind right when you're before you go in? Is there is there something like a you know just a, a process that you go through? I've been trying to work a lot on my breathing. Um, you know, it sounds sounds really basic and dumb but I think taking just really slow deep breaths in the bullpen and out on the field in the game um because I when things start to go bad for me I find myself just speeding through everything you know I'll, I'll get the ball back from the catcher and immediately step back on the mound and be ready to throw another pitch and I'll rush my delivery so um I've been trying to take a little bit more time between pitches step off the rubber take a deep breath then get back on, focus up. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really is a balance for me because I don't want to lose that aggressiveness. I don't want to back down, but I also know that I need to be under control. And, you know, obviously command is probably more important than velocity at the big league level, but I also don't want to forget what's gotten me here. So you're the reason why MLB has a pace of play problem. <laughs> well... I used to be the opposite. I used to, uh, th this is actually a true story. And, uh, two years ago in double a 2015, that was the first year that they, uh, they implemented the in between pitches clock of 20 seconds. And I would try every single time ev after every pitch, I would try to get the ball back from the catcher and be back on the rubber before they even started the pitch clock back down from 20. So, like, you know, usually you'll throw the pitch, catcher would catch it, maybe a second goes by, and they'd, they'd press the button and it'd start counting down. So I would try to be back on the rubber before they even started counting down the next pitch. So Yes, I mean, so that's I, interesting because that's obviously was then getting into your head. And I'm sure yeah, you, it's, you're it, thinking about it too much. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And like Scott and I have talked at length, and so many people have talked at length about the does MLB actually have a pace of play problem and what can they do to fix it? I mean, I mean, maybe they don't have a problem and I'm going to watch the games regardless of how long they are. Cause I'm a diehard fan, but like, do you have any suggestions or thoughts on like what could actually be done to speed up the game? I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like if a game, if a game takes three hours as opposed to two hours and 40 minutes, like if you're committing if you're committing two hours and 40 minutes of your night to watching a game, what more is 20 minutes, yeah. you know, or if you go to the game and it's, it, even if it's, you know, 45 minutes or an hour longer than it would be, it's already going to be a long night for you if you're going to the game. So I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it's, it's just the game of baseball. If you're, if you're a fan of baseball, you're going to watch the game. Um, but you know, as far as what I really think is affecting it, as as sad as it is and you know it kind of probably would hurt me more than anything i really think it's all the pitching changes um 
And I hope they don't change the rule to limit the changes, but I think it's like when they when they change pitchers two or three times in one inning, that's really what starts to add up. Um, yeah. So I hope I hope they don't change that, and I think it'd kind of be bad for the game if they did, you know, just because it it kind of takes away from a certain aspect of the game. To me, it does at least. And the um, problem. And the problem with what they do when they're looking at all these numbers and the metrics and how long things take, they always take like a, a large scale uh, amount of games and then they give you like a big number of minutes that it would shave mm-hmm. it down. And then you break it down and you're like, okay, well, how many, is, how many minutes is that actually in a game? And how often does that scenario actually happen yeah. in a, within a week? I mean, are we talking like an extra 10 minutes a week now if there's a guy, yeah. if there's three pitching changes in one inning? You know, it's just – yeah. Exactly. They, they start they start messing with so many things, then you know you're effectively changing the game. Yeah, couldn't agree anymore. You're you're changing the game to what? Maybe save 15 minutes per night, like if that that would, that's really being generous. So yeah, that's a lot. On average, like five minutes per night, and that's not going to make a difference to most fans. I feel like you know is that little amount of time. I'd rather I think fans would rather just have the game stay the way it is because that's why they're fans of baseball in the first place. All right, I want to switch gears uh, and ask why you keep losing to J.P. Fireisen at darts. <laughs> well, um, you know, I got I got really into darts um, over the Christmas holiday season this year, um, and so I got a dartboard in in our apartment heading into spring training, and I got here a little bit before he did, so I was practicing all. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I had no idea what kind of dart player he was. So I've actually started uh, beating JP a little bit more. I actually just beat him last night. So it happens. I'm, I'm making progress, but he's by far the better dart player. No the tides doubt. Have, the tides have turned. I saw, I saw the picture of the dartboard. So you guys are using, like, the electronic dartboard, right? Like yeah, using that's, yeah. Constant, constantly breaking tips, right? you got to get the extra oh. package of tips. That's a that's a. <laughs> That's something people don't realize, I think, when they buy those. Yeah. We've already gone through one of the 50 packs of tips, and we're on yeah. to our second. We're, like, halfway yeah. through, so we've gone through probably, like, 75, maybe 80 tips. Yeah, already. it's a major it's a major problem. It really is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I really want to get one of the cork boards, but I don't – we're staying in a temporary apartment right now, so if I – I don't think I could really install that here and then take it down without leaving too much damage on the wall. But – you're gonna install one in the Yankees uh, yeah. uh, Yankee Stadium dugout or uh, bullpen. Oh I mean. yeah, there's there an idea go. in that little room, that uh, indoor section in the yeah. back of the bullpen. You guys got like a clubhouse yes. out there now. Yeah, seriously, it really is. We got we got a fridge, bathroom. If we have a dartboard, I mean, what else would you need? <laughs> Sounds like it's already settled. Yeah, I think I'll I'll bring that up to uh, Joe tomorrow. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> yep. So I saw a video, um, we'll wrap this up in a second, but I saw a video uh, that the Yes tweeted about you collecting Pokemon cards, and that really struck uh, a place in my heart because you and I are both children of the 90s, and the Pokemon cards and the Pokemon video games basically dominated like 1995 to 1998. Yeah, it was the best. I mean, I was was a little bit after that time. I I don't know, I guess probably like – elementary school middle school is kind of when i was hardcore into it but yeah i mean that was what i was all about back then just pokemon cards the the game boy pokemon games were probably those were the best video games of all time i kind of just talked i think i have to agree with you 
just talking about it makes me want to converse, Scott's, this converse, Scott's almost 40, this conversation. So probably will say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, this has kind of gotten a little off topic, but I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of people who would agree with us. Like, Pokemon is definitely where it's at. Yeah, it definitely had to make a, I mean, it had to be popular at some point so that it could make a comeback now. So it was just, yeah. it was a little after me. Yeah, but now there's like, there's so many new Pokemon that I don't even know, like 90% of them anymore. I'm just, I'm all yeah. about the original 150 or whatever there were. OG, yeah. OG, yeah, baby. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you play at all uh, the Pokemon Go this summer? No, you know, I everybody was playing it, and I I downloaded it, but it just made me want to play the uh, the Game Boy games. So <laughs> I ended up downloading the Game Boy game on my phone. So everybody everybody nice. was playing Pokemon Go, and I was just playing the uh, original Pokemon like Yellow or whatever on my phone. So. Moment of truth, and Scott's not going to ha- know what the hell we're talking about, but do you go Bulbasaur, Charmander, or Squirtle? Charmander, for sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we're absolutely. We're seeing <laughs> yeah. eye to eye on this. <laughs> Scott is so <laughs> mad at me right now. Yeah, he kind of took over your, the conversation. Your Pokemon, though, was my... Uh, it, was, it was Tecmo Bowl. We went back and would play Tecmo Bowl all the time. Even when the new Maddens were out, we go back and play Tecmo Bowl. Oh, yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't played much of that. Oh, Tech Mobile is it's it's pretty amazing. It's making yeah. a comeback also with the Bo Jackson commercials. Okay, maybe yeah. I'll have to get into it. I've been playing a lot of NCAA football 2014. It's the last year they made the NCAA football for uh, PlayStation 3. So I've been playing that lately when I need my football fix. So Ben, thanks a lot for joining us, and I know you got a couple weeks left in, in spring. Um, you know, good luck for the rest of the rest of the spring, and hopefully we see you in a Yankee uniform. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was fun talking to you guys, and yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, we get a chance to uh, help the team, and good things will be in store for the team this year. I think. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.